this. Yes, Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. See there. Let me put down this big giant book of Bill Shakespeare that I'm reading. I'll just throw it in the fire here. We have a fireplace at the Blockbuster Film School. Oh, it got wildly out of control. Welcome, everyone. All, all of Shakespeare's books are highly flammable because of the black magic inside of them. You're here because you love Blockbuster Film School. And why do you love Blockbuster Film School? I'll tell you why. Because of your wonderful professors and headmasters, such as Nicholas Souter. Hello. Oh, man. I'm not blackout drunk. He's he's normal. He is totally normal and sober. He has Mormon magic underwear on. I'm Alex Bonner, your other professor. I am wearing two pairs of magic Mormon underwear to make it super magic. Hold on a second. I have a legit question. Mm -hmm. What is underwear? It's these thongs that you wear so that when you're at your job dancing on the stage, you have something to take off and for women to put, or men, or question mark, gender-wise, to put money inside of. I'm so glad that you are so open-minded now. Oh, I'm extremely open-minded. I always was open-minded. I just like mocking people. And now I have to be careful on who I mock for what reasons. But I can still mock them. Like, some people are real fucking stupid, and I can mock stupidity still. Like our president. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> no, we have to be careful. Don't make fun no, of the stupid I don't, community. No, no. Fuck. <laughs> don't worry. Their emails will go the wrong place. <laughs> hashtag all stupids are all stupids. good and matter. Uh, they forgot how hashtags work midway through that. Yeah. Because they're fucking stupid. You're here at the Blockbuster Film School. It's a special episode. It is a very special episode. I will tell you why. It is tell f- me why. I will tell you why. It's a film director that Nicholas does not like. It's a film director that I don't like. And at no point am I going to do a crazy bunch of weird New York accents at any point. It is Mr. Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll just do my Bill the Butcher voice the entire time. Please. Don't. If I thought it was you, you'd okay. already be wearing a wooden coat. I don't know if I've said this on the show before, mm. but I have dual citizenship. All right. I know. I'm only bringing this up. He doesn't. He's a full American, like a true American patriot like me and Brian. Cool. Anyways, <laughs> I'm only bringing this up because we are doing an Italian-American director. Correct. He's Italian? If we could fuck off. <laughs> if we could keep. Are you going to bring that up? The Italian impressions to a minimum. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not. Because I know. I know you. I know. I've known you for fucking over a decade. I'm not going to. And also, to be fair, a lot of his movies do not take place in Italy. No, but there's always Italians. A little bit. To be fair, I don't do a really crazy racist Italian voice very often. In your mind. I do a lot of, like, Italian-adjacent Brooklyn, uh, New Jersey, sometimes Philadelphia accents of people. Um, You're just hitting the tri-state area? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. (laughs) As well as those ones who have then moved to Los Angeles to become producers who are not Italian, but just talk like that. Yeah. Yes. I'm surprisingly okay with that. Yeah. So, no, I will not talk like Luigi during any of this, I don't think. God damn it. I will will save that for when we actually have an Italian filmmaker. (laughs) I'm not sure what you're asking me. No, none of this is what I asked for. (laughs) All right, well, we're going to move ahead. In the Let's just go into it. Let's just open the textbook. Everyone wants to hear about Martin Scorsese. Everyone loves Martin Scorsese. 
I'm going to screw it up a couple of times because it's okay. I mean, honestly, it's, it's America. So one of the jobs I have had mm-hmm. in a few years while doing the restaurant gig full-time, I had a full-time gig doing school picture day. Okay. The fucking coolest kid I ever met. <laughs> yeah. His first name was Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, I go, odd. I just go, Scorsese? He goes, what's up? I'm like, is that your real name? He goes, yeah. I'm like, your parents are awesome. He goes, I know. And he sat down. I go, right here. I didn't even say anything. I yeah. took the picture. I go, you're perfect. Yeah. And he's like, I know. And you left. The only thing that would have made that cooler was, if he would have been like, actually, my name is Scorsese. <laughs> and then I he, mean. And then he had like a really dope like tie with a huge collar that Ray Liotta has in Goodfellas. My God, he looks Amish half the time. <laughs> was Ray um, Liotta Mennonite? And what's it? Uh, he's on Chantix. Ch- thank you. Yeah, that was my next joke. <laughs> um, what we'll we'll do our usual thing, Nick. What was the very first Martin Scorsese film that you ever saw? I've been thinking about this because mm. I knew this was going to come up. Yeah. Yeah. It might have been fucking After Hours. Interesting. It's so weird. That is weird. It's so weird. Because, like, I've been saying this on the show for many times. Mm-hmm. I grew up with cable. We had Encore. They showed all these old movies, right? They had certain rights to old movies. After Hours, nobody was really fighting yeah. for the rights for those. Yeah. But I saw that, and I brought it up, and my parents knew that I was doomed from the start. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, you, we'll get you Goodfellas. Yeah. And they got me Goodfellas. And then I got Taxi Driver and all these other movies, and I, like, lost my goddamn yeah. mind. Yeah. But it started with After Hours. Like, I haven't seen After Hours in, like, 10 years. It is one of four movies that he directed that did not get nominated for any Academy Awards. I Think know. about that. He's made like 50 movies, and all of them have gotten Except nominated. for four. I know. <laughs> one of them is After Hours. But we'll talk about After I love after Griffin hours. Dunn. It's a pretty cool movie. It's, I like it. Martin Scorsese directed it. It's fucking amazing. Here's why I like it's not it. It's amazing, but it's great. It's, it's, it's pretty. It's, it's, it's good. It's good. It's, it's better good. than most movies I see. Exactly. Yes. A Scorsese movie that's good yes. is better than most people's Correct. great movies. Correct. But- it really comes down to one thing for me. Hmm. Every time I go to New York, I'm looking for Scorsese's yeah. New York. Yeah, true. And After Hours, specifically, yeah. it's like, hey, look at New York. Look at this. It's a beautiful bitch. It is. And I can only stand it for like three days before I lose my mind because I have weird social anxiety. <laughs> I know I live in Chicago. Yeah. But in Chicago, you can go months at a time without speaking to anyone if you really want it's to. It's amazing. It's yeah. really bizarre. In New York, it's like, you can go fucking 20 minutes I maybe most. have told this story before, but literally... I was trying to have a drink by myself. I was in a bar for about, I want to say, three to possibly four minutes. A couple, a couple just came up to me and were like, hey, can I ask you a question? You ever see Paranormal 3? And I was like, uh, what? They were like, yeah, we just saw it. You ever see Paranormal 3? And I was like, um, no, I haven't seen it. They're like, well, let me tell you about it. I'm, I have some thoughts. I was curious what you thought. I was like, what is happening? Yeah. Why am I being accosted like this? See, you're much friendlier. <laughs> I guess, yeah. You're much friendlier looking. Yeah. <laughs> I always have, like, I get asked for directions every time I'm in New York, which is weird, weird. and I can give directions. You do kind of look like a New Yorker. Thanks. Also, you're wearing that shirt that says, I'm from New York. Forget about it. <laughs> in defense, though, I have three of these. Um, the last time I was there, I went to this place where they make homemade noodles and dumplings. Awesome. I was there for the first time. I sit down. I order... Like, I knew exactly what I wanted because I had Yelp and all this other shit. Sure. And then these two White people women... love snitching so much they created Yelp. <laughs> Fuck. Sorry. I hate it so much. <laughs> I want to create the opposite of that where people just bitch about customers. Yeah. I think it's called the Chicago Service Industry page on Facebook. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, these two friends were sitting here and they were having dinner. They go, excuse me. I go, what's up? They're like, how do we pay? I'm like, go up to her. Yeah. Oh, they wanted to. They wanted to know. Like, and then they look at me. 
Then they start asking all these questions about like tipping and all this. I'm like, have you never eaten out before? Are you guys robot? They're like, this was a fun human. I mean, regular food buying experience. How does one who is, I mean, us other humans, fellow humans, pay for our food? Yeah. They're basically the robots from Halloween 3. That's true. Also, I'm a little bit nerdier with my history thing. And whenever I go to New York, I go and I genuinely look for spots. I know that none of them will actually truly still be there, but I love... I went to like the five points. Like I love Gangs of New York, and I love that. I love I that the book. Same I love thing. that movie. It's, just like, I, it's everything is a gap. Yeah, I just love that time period. That idea in my head of what New York was like at different intervals. Whenever I go there, I imagine what it was like. Maybe when it was just when Greenwich Village was an actual village and not actually mm. attached to the city. I love that kind of. I don't know. There's this crazy idea in my head. But hey, I, Alex. Yeah. Was the first Scorsese movie you saw? Oh, uh, well, I have to give a shout out to my parents, my dad particularly, who Bevan was, Darcy, Bevan Darcy, Bevan is, Bevin, my, da- is my dad's it. No, yeah. uh, Joe and Suzanne, both of them were big movie dorks. I've said this before; it's probably in my blood. And they saw Goodfellas in the theater, and knowing that I was a movie crazy person, they were like, "Okay, you have to see this." So when it came out on VHS, they like let me and my brother sit down and watch it, and even though it's hyperviolent and insane, but it's a masterpiece. It's truly a masterpiece, and it blew my it's fucking perfect mind. movie. It blew my mind apart. And then after that, I asked my dad. I was like, "What other shit is there? What other?" And, he, and then he just takes her. He's like, "Here's Raging Bull," and you watch Raging Bull, and then you know. I mean, it just went down the line. I just went into my Scorsese summer that I had. I went to Blockbuster and rented every same thing. Goddamn Scorsese movie. Would I you say that basically Spielberg and Scorsese are the most prolific filmmakers alive? Of making movies of quality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Rennie Harlan's made more movies, but... Uh, I don't think so. I maybe think not. But. Maybe Joe Swanberg has, but nobody's watching those. <laughs> nice burn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? I mean, there's guys who've made also a lot of movies, who've made a lot of movies, yeah. but I don't think of the... the I mean, Carpenter... Right, but even... We love John Carpenter, but he's made, never made that yeah. many movies. No, not I mean, that, from the 90s on, nobody's watched them. I mean, like, he also made, like, two movies a decade a lot of times, you know, and definitely Kubrick made one movie a decade. That was his thing. If we were lucky. Yes, that was his, you know, and I love... You know, P.T. works sort of quick, I, but not quick enough. Exactly. I love P.T., and maybe... P.T.'s also younger. P.T. is in his he's, 40s. No, he's or, in his 50s. He's in his 50s, but still. I mean, yeah. you know, he could work for another 20, sometimes 30 years if you're Robert fucking Altman, you know, know. it's like... But so, also, like, Scorsese put out, like two movies a year sometimes. Mm-hmm. He's insane. Same thing with Spielberg. Yeah. Jurassic Park and Schindler's List were the same year. Same year, which also there's a cool Schindler's List story about how, I mean, it's not that crazy, but it's just literally that they initially pitched Schindler's List to Scorsese and Spielberg Whoa. wanted to produce it and he wanted Scorsese to direct it. And Never knew that. And he kind of went a little into the pre-production process thinking about it. We're helping him kind of like, you know, hone the script and stuff. And then finally he just, apparently in some meeting just turned to him and he was like, um, Steven, you need to make this movie because I am not Jewish and yeah. that would be weird. And then like, he went and made Cape Fear. <laughs> he's like, what I am is into criminals and dirtballs. Yeah. That is who I like. But let's go into him. We'll just do a little history of the man, the myth, the legend. Martin Charles Scorsese, born November 17th. Scorpio, three days after my birthday, 1942. That's a little bit before my birthday. He's 76, still kicking. Born in Queens, New York. Hey, Queens. Queens, hey. How's it going? And uh, I'm doing. So it begins. I'm allowed to do Queens accents. Fine. Uh, His parents worked in the garment district, but were also actors. Both of them were actors. They Mm. were very connected into the acting scene of the 40s and 50s on Broadway and off-Broadway. 
neither of them were Broadway actors, but it's interesting. Neither of them were very wealthy or anything, but he was definitely connected in the arts. You know, his family yeah. was very Catholic. I don't know if you noticed, if you've seen any of his movies, um, Catholicism plays a big part in his movies. And, uh, he went to New York university, NYU, where he also taught for a little while and met some of his people like Brian De Palma. We'll talk about that in a little bit. He's definitely that one where it's like of the, the, what they called the new school, the New York side of the new school was him and De Palma. Those were kind of the big New York guys. You know, they eventually became friends with like Spielberg and Lucas and these guys. But I mean, obviously they're boomers or just about, he's a little younger or a little older, excuse me. But that idea of that beginning of the boomers, the 60s, 70s, particularly filmmaking stuff. He's, if you were to say who is the quintessential New York filmmaker. It's Martin Scorsese. It's Martin Scorsese. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, if you like nerdier, weirder stuff, maybe it's Woody Allen, but. Mm, (laughs) No. It's Martin Scorsese. Yeah. For many reasons. I mean, the guy's a big history nerd. There's so many, he has, his movies take place in lots of different time periods of New York. exactly, yeah. They're not just. It's everywhere. Is that just where some dude roams around to pick up his adopted children? So we'll go into it because I'm not going to lie. A lot of his very, very earliest stuff, his early short films, he made it NYU and his first couple of super, like literally just taking a shot, low budget features. I've never seen. I've never, I don't, have, I. have you ever seen what's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? And it's not just you, Murray exclamation point. No, but I've had both of these things said to me. That's true. Apparently he made a famous, <laughs> I, I do yell, yeah. what's the matter, you Murray, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you all the time. Um, he made a famous short that is darkly comic called The Big Shave, mm. 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 which is the next Todd Phillips movie. But he did make a movie called Who's That Knocking at My Door with his fellow student actor, Mr. Harvey Keitel, your favorite actor, and... Worked with editor Thelma Shoemaker, who would be his collaborator and yeah. the um, Wonder Woman to his Batman in the Justice League for up, t- up till now, I believe. Yeah. Um, she won way more Oscars than he did. I know. <laughs> and um, they have been stiff competition. Stiff competitions. And in 1967, the three of them make Mean Streets, which is where we're going to start. It's incredibly impressive that that is basically a movie they made with just the cameras and the clothes that they had. They just made it in people's apartments and bars of literally they had friends who were bartenders and they were just like, so during the day, can we shoot this in here? And they said, yes. So, and Brian De Palma, who was a friend of Scorsese's at NYU said, he's like, I know this guy. He's a really awesome actor. He's, he's completely insane, but I think you'd like him. And he introduced him to Robert De Niro. Yeah, because they had made a couple of movies before that. Together. Right. Yes. Because actually, that's the a lot birthday of people, party with De Palma and yeah. De Niro. Yeah. Because yeah. that's how they they were like that was kind of his Harvey Keitel. It was his really good friend who was an actor who was yeah. in all De Palma's weird early shit. And when we have the, the De Palma or De Niro episode, that'll be interesting as well to kind of really deep dive on that. But so they make Mean Streets. What do you think of Mean Streets? Love it. Uh, yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing. It's pretty fucking it's, wild. It opens with fucking De Niro with his long hair, mm-hmm. looking like a fucking crazy person. Oh, my God. B- putting a fucking firework or some piece of, like, explosive mm-hmm. in a mailbox. And it just goes from there. And you got Scorsese doing the narration. Mm-hmm. I feel like this might be the most personal of his early films. I think so. It also begins some of the things that I automatically associate with Scorsese. I'm going to keep pronouncing his name backwards and forwards many different times. So you want, get baby. over it. It's okay. So 
in his first real feature, it already has crime, violence, well-executed plots about characters who are on a collision course that they don't even know they're on. And now it's, it is a little weird because oftentimes he'll only kind of have people who have kind of criticized him, but he'll only have like one female character sometimes. But that female character will be so three-dimensional and so complex and so the pivot point will go around that female character that that is a trope that I see in so many of his movies where even though there will be all of these dudes and they're all up to crazy, insane shit, but really the main pivot point, the one who really drives the plot will be the female character. And I always found that to be interesting and that's already happening in Mean Streets. So, like, he makes three movies before Mean Streets. Mm-hmm. And they're not super Italian uh, yeah. gangster movies. Correct. And then he makes Mean Streets. Right. Which also, these guys aren't, like, super gangsters. He's not, but he he knows them. He's yes, met them. Exactly. Yes. I feel like, as somebody who came from the South Side, mm. who was trying to... Also, I just might be trying to connect pieces together. Yes. His life is mine. But mm-hmm. either way, it's a theory. He likes pizza. I like pizza. I'm exactly mm. like Martin Scorsese. I'm going to throw a mic stand at <laughs> you. Um, so, as someone who's trying to get away from where they grew up, yes. I feel like at some point you can't help but to embrace it. And I feel like yes. he did that. And then he tried to get away from it again. He did like, Alice doesn't live here right. anymore. And then he goes back to the taxi driver. And then he tries to make something else. Right. And he goes to fucking Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like you can't escape where you came from. Mm-hmm. And with Scorsese, it's really his best shit. I agree. And there's a, according to legend, something I was reading about, there are a lot of fabulous conversations at bars in Scorsese's movies. Really well executed conversations at bars. And according to legend, De Palma and Scorsese had a conversation at a bar in which De Palma was listening to him tell all these crazy stories about knucklehead stick-up guys and goodfellas and guys from the neighborhood and all this stuff. And De Palma just kind of mused for a second and then in that classic De Palma sort of thing was like, why are you making these fucking other movies? Why are you making all this other fucking Mickey Mouse shit? And of course, he was like, what are you talking about? He's like, this is what you're good at. These are the stories I find interesting. This is what you should be making movies about. And of course, he was like, oh, interesting. And supposedly Mean Streets is just sort of based on a real thing that happened yeah. to some idiots that he knew who got over the, in over their head with gambling debts and thought it wouldn't be a big thing because they had known all these gangsters their entire life and thought it would be okay. And then it'd be okay to have sex with one of their cousins. Yeah. And then just one of them got shot. Yeah. Just fucking got ended. Spoiler alert for Mean Streets. <laughs> um, I don't know. If you haven't seen it, it only came out. 40 fucking seven years ago. Math is hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've had some time. I'm not an optimist in real mm-hmm. life. Yes. In movies, though. Yes. I am. Yes. He made a couple movies where De Niro gets shot in the neck. Mm-hmm. It was a fucking taxi driver we'll talk about in a second. True. And Mean Streets. Right. So yeah. I don't know. It's it, In both of them, if you're an optimist, he survives. If right. you're a pessimist, he's dead. Interesting. Especially the last scene... It really comes into fruition when in the last scene of Taxi Driver, it's right. like, most people think he's fucking dead. It's an interesting question, but he loved the movie Shane, and he kind of, there's a little bit of shame yeah. in that. Riding off in the sunset and slops right. over. Is he dead? I don't know. But Same also, thing with Jaws 3. Exactly. Just like that. And what is that tarantula at the end of Enemies? <laughs> what the hell is that? Is that Shane? It's Shane from the movie Shane, is the tarantula. That doesn't make any sense. Anyways... So, Listen to our Denise Villeneuve episode. <laughs> but he also always has characters who have hubris. They have hubris. They are fascinating to watch 
but they think the world is different than how the world is. And this, a lot of times, gets them killed. Yeah, pretty uh, much. You know, and this will be, spoiler alert, in Mean Streets, it definitely is in Goodfellas. It's in The Departed. It's in a lot of, particularly his crime stuff. It, where 75% of his films. You know, it's not in all of them, but that idea of thinking the world is one way and thinking the world is your oyster and you can do no wrong, but you are doing a lot of wrong yeah. and you are fucking it up and you don't even see it coming, that kind of thing. After that, though, he works with two of his biggest influences. He makes the documentary Woodstock, which if you've never seen is actually really cool and really influential. And also something we're going to talk about a little bit with Scorsese, everyone automatically goes into his narrative movies, but Scorsese is an amazing documentarian. His documentaries are fucking amazing. That It's often, I think, not cool that he gets overlooked. Wait, Woodstock? Yeah. It's not his movie, but he worked on it as an assistant director, and he met John Cassavetes working on Woodstock. And Cassavetes would basically teach him a lot of how to make really visceral movies where the dialogue and the characters and the plot are what really drive the movie. After Woodstock, he starts working, and this is where he really kind of takes off in Hollywood. He goes and he starts working for Roger Corman. If you don't know who Roger Corman is, do yourself a favor, Wikipedia Roger Corman. Uh, we'll do a Roger Corman episode, but Roger Corman was like the king of B-movies. He made all the craziest shit, but he works for Roger Corman. Roger Corman takes him under his wing and literally makes a movie called Boxcar Bertha, which it's pretty dope. I'm not going to lie. It has Barbara Hershey and David Carradine. It's this crazy-ass movie that's about, uh, based on a real Depression-era character, Bertha Thompson, who was a robber, was basically like her and her friends who were out of work and were reds in the Depression era ended up just getting fed up with it and running around robbing wealthy boxcars. And they think it's going to last forever. But guess what? It doesn't last forever. And a bunch of them go down hard. And Scorsese has said that Roger Corman basically on that truly showed him how to make a movie, how to really put all the pieces together, how to actually construct a movie all the way, which is kind of funny because Mean Streets had already fucking happened. But if you have a chance, watch Boxcar Bertha. But it's that. It's that. Have you seen Boxcar Bertha? I haven't. It's David Carradine is fucking awesome in it, actually. Bertha was before Mean Streets. Mean Streets comes out in 1967. No, Mean Streets was 73. Oh, you're right. Okay. Okay, so that actually makes more sense. Actually, I apologize. Marjorie Corbett produces. He shows Scorsese how to make a fucking movie. Boxcar Bertha is kind of his first... Hollywood-esque movie, and then he makes Mean Streets, and that makes a lot more sense, actually, because I was I was thinking, I was like, Mean Streets is pretty goddamn well-defined. And just as you said, you get into, like, Mean Streets has machismo, it has gritty New York, it has Catholic guilt, it has redemption, it has violence. So much Catholic guilt. It's a little bit documentary style. Also, I think with Mean Streets, you could really see that influence from, like, Cassavetes and Godard. Martin Scorsese is secretly obsessed with, like, French filmmakers. Like, all the way back to George. I think it's secret. It's not secret, but, I mean, like, not only the French New Wave, but, like, George Millais, the silent film director, he would eventually make an entire movie about because he loved him so fucking much. Granted, George Millais' silent movies are fucking rad. They are the coolest, most whimsical sci-fi that has ever been made. Then, in 1974, he directs Ellen Burstyn in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. 
Have you seen Alice Doesn't Live Here anymore? I really meant to watch it. <laughs> it is good. I saw it as a child. Ooh. <laughs> That's a problem. I saw so many Scorsese yes. movies. I saw fucking... I owned Taxi Driver when I was mm-hmm. in grade school. Mm-hmm. I saw Raging Bull. I owned that when I was in grade school. I fucking saw King of New York, right. After Hours, all these movies when I was in grade school. I am not a normal person because of Scorsese. That is true. But needless to say, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Definitely has kind of aged well. It's still a cool movie. Ellen Burstyn's awesome in it. It's another powerful female character in Scorsese's movies, which is a little unique that she's the protagonist, I will say. A lot of his movies are have male protagonists, but always have very interesting and complex female characters in them. But all these movies, they get a lot of press. They get a little bit of a following. They get, they're well-regarded, particularly in New York. But then he makes his breakout movie, the movie that not only is a huge financial hit, but also the first one that probably everyone has seen. There is a poster of it on edgy college dorm walls it is taxi driver it's the first movie that really breaks out with de niro it's the first alienated action violence movie it plays with the idea of true crime which no one in america likes now no one is super influenced by true crime no one enjoys any of that shit it comes out in 1976 and is fucking nuts you've seen taxi driver right to the point where um, my parents were scared. Nick went into the bathroom and shaved his head into a mohawk, which is... I mean, if we're going to do the episode right. I mean... Unfortunately, I have no hair in the middle, so it's just sort of a skullet. It's one of those ones, too, where it has things in it that I people who maybe have never even seen the movie know about because it's become such a cultural touchstone. Like, you talking to me, people might say that to... Well, they might not know where it's from. They might not even yeah. know that that, like... <laughs> They, Here, here's the crazy thing about Travis. People Bickle. might have created a device so a gun pops out of their wrist. They don't even know that that's from Taxi Driver. No, I mean, <laughs> let's let's be honest. Robert Rodriguez built an entire career off of yeah, that Yeah, I gag. mean, out of that one cool yeah. thing where a gun pops out of his wrist. Yeah. Here's the thing, though, about De Niro in that movie. Mm-hmm. And this is what people have been getting wrong since 1976 about mm-hmm. their loners. Mm-hmm. Travis Bickle knows how to operate in okay. society. Correct. He has a job. Yeah. He shows up on time. He shows up early. Yeah. He does it well. He doesn't say anything weird to fucking the people who get in his cab. Right. He's also so charming, he walks up to Sybil Shepherd yeah. and convinces her to go on a date with him. But then, because he isn't normal, right. they go to a porno movie. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. That's like a third date. That's like a third date, yeah. yeah. That makes more sense. That makes more sense. But <laughs> other than that, but up until that point, Travis Bickle just seems like an angry dude who yeah. operates normally within society. And then after that, he becomes taxi driver. Yes. It's also interesting. I agree with you entirely of everything you just said. I find it even more interesting that Scorsese sort of processed that there was this undercurrent, this undercurrent going on. It's unique to a lot of his movies that, sure, everyone in American culture knows that there's organized crime knows that there's less organized crime, knows that there's knuckleheads and criminals and mayhem. People know that. This idea where he was starting to sort of register things in 70s New York of there's a different type of guy. There is literally a guy who is starting to become so alienated with himself, with society, 
I don't know how he came up with this character, but it feels like he just understood New York and could feel that there were these guys running around. Well, there were that, these guys who were, like you said, articulate, intelligent, but yeah. becoming psychotic, becoming Paul frayed. Schrader wrote this, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Paul Schrader. Yes. But Scorsese also influenced the script Absolutely. A lot, like, but here's the thing. I would love to meet Scorsese. Mm-hmm. I'm slightly terrified of Paul Schrader. Oh, yeah, no. Paul Schrader is like... He's fucking nuts. Yeah, it's like it's like if you would have met John Millis in, like, the 80s. Yeah, and he, exactly. And, he, and he's like, okay, well, um, now I'm going to point this gun at you while we talk so that it's a real fucking conversation, yeah. man. And you're like, uh... But now uh, you, meet, you meet fucking Paul Schrader now, and he's like, right. what's your score on yeah. Words with Friends? I'm like, I don't have that app. Download it. Yeah. Why? I'm third in the country. Yeah. I'm fifth yeah. in the world. I was supposed to host Jeopardy. That goddamn Alex Trebek yeah, fucking yeah, still yeah. has an army. He's never like, going to let it go. Never going to let it go. But Taxi Driver is one of the greatest movies of all time. It transcends everything. It's insane. It's, it's insane. It's his first great album. It's mind-blowing. It has a great director in it, in Jodie Foster. It yeah. Like, it, also, the great director in this movie yeah. plays a total fucking creep. Yes. He's one of the scariest oh. characters in this movie. And I love, yes, I love that Scorsese is finally in a movie. Yeah. He doesn't even like acting. He's an amazing actor. But he, he said openly, like, he doesn't like acting. But the only reason he did it is they could only shoot that scene on the one day, and the guy who was supposed to play it got sick. And so he was like, fuck it. Here I go. And it's maybe the creepiest part of the whole movie. Yeah. Where there's a part where Martin, spoiler alert, there's a part where Martin Scorsese is the fair in Robert De Niro's cab, in Travis Pickle's cab. And he takes him to watch Martin Scorsese's character's wife cheat on him through a window. And he basically goes into this terrifying monologue about how he's going to murder her. And it's creepy. The whole thing. It's so creepy. The whole movie. The whole movie's creepy. Yes. There's a whole feel to it. There's a whole, like, I can only imagine if you saw it in fucking the 70s. Yes. And you're like, that's my neighborhood. That's this. That's that shit. That's me. Right. You watch it now and it's like, oh. But there is such prescience in it. There is such these movies like the one we have right now, The Joker. But these movies of oh my god, I know. But I but they're all influenced by this. They're all there no, was no genre. I, I guess there would have been a little bit of like Herman Mel of Jean Melville, you know, and Brasson in France with these alienated weirdo characters. But in America, no one had ever done this. Here's the thing. Let's just call it what it is. Mm. Joker mm-hmm. is Scorsese karaoke. Yeah. I, it's but, like three of his films combined. But like even ones that we like, Fight Club is a, a an homage and a take from Chuck Palahniuk, you know, and then the movie, you know, the David Fincher movie is very much so a late 90s twisting of Taxi Driver elements. You know, it's of alienation, of dudes feeling, you know, and I know, yes, white males feeling fucking alienation is maybe the worst problem we have in America, but it, needs to, but it needs to be addressed. It's that, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy. And him creating this, him addressing the violence of this, the attack violence of this, it's wild. It's genuinely wild. We could talk about Taxi Driver for nine and a half hours, I think. And maybe when we finally start getting bigger and bigger with podcasts, we'll just go back and do a Taxi Driver episode where we just talk about it for... But sadly, we have to move on. Yes, we do, because... Well, I want to say one thing. Yes. Harvey Cattell sucks. Sport? You don't like sport? No. He's got a feather he's in his head. Believ- he's not believable. It's, he's trying. I know he's, he's trying. He's got suspenders on. He's, oh, my God. <laughs> Wear a fucking belt. 
I to be fair though, I, he's so, I, I realize I'm super biased. I know, but he's so, so he's so believable in Mean Streets because he is a mook from the neighborhood. Yes, you know, he's not believable as a right. pimp in this. No, because he's not a pimp. He's and not he is, a pimp. He is. He's the opposite of a pimp. Yes. If a pimp is Jay-Z, right. this motherfucker is, you know... Jay-Z's not a pimp either. Jay-Z's an artist who raps about these things. Like, uh, I'm just but, using yes. metaphors. I understand what you're saying. But like... Jay-Z he, sells a right. lot of records. Right. Mace was on two he's not even He's, not even, Charlie, he's records. not even Charlie Murphy in the Play a Haters sketch from fucking the Dave Chappelle show, okay? We <laughs> all wish we were fucking Charlie Murphy. Um, R.I.P. R.I.P. One of the greats. R.I.P. Charlie Murphy. Also, that Dolomite movie I, I did, it, it's dedicated to Charlie Murphy. And I oh, appreciate, that's I appreciate great. it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Watch Dolomite and uh, like and subscribe our page. Yes, please like and subscribe our page. Please, please. I beg you. <laughs> like and subscribe our page. <laughs> but it is a huge financial success. Without it's a breakthrough yeah, success. Yeah, yeah. Now everyone knows who Martin Scorsese is. Everyone, everyone knows who De Niro is. Everyone knows who De Niro is. It's fucking nuts. It blows up. And so he then takes all of this cloud he has in Hollywood and all of this money and he makes... New York, New York, <laughs> which I've seen. I've seen. I, I seen it. It's oof. oof. It is bad. It, Budget fourteen million. Box office sixteen point four. And that's over many moons now. Yeah. That is when you at, when it, you include marketing, they still haven't made their money back. But I would imagine they are including box office of like showing it at the music box and shit. Yeah, like exactly. It's, yeah. It's, it's it was a financial failure at the time. It is de- it's so he bad. He apparently went into a huge depression. He was super addicted to cocaine. This is not a joke. This isn't a Joel Silver joke. He was super addicted to cocaine, was extremely depressed, thought his life was over, thought his career was over. And then finally his old pals, you know, kind of came back and said, look, why don't you try making some more of your documentaries? They still liked his documentary. So he made The Last Waltz about the band, which is an awesome documentary. It absolutely is. And it fooled people into thinking the band was a good band. Right. It... (laughs) Yeah. Now we're taking shots at the band. I don't give a shit right now. <laughs> the band has some good songs, okay? And for anyone at the band, you can come What's on the podcast. song? I don't know if any of you are still alive, but you can still come. Uh-huh. They're not a lot of them. I- the weight. The fucking, that's yeah. the big, like, yeah. Put your load on Annie. Put your load on yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's a three minute song. What the right. fuck are they else? Yeah. What were they doing for the other fucking eighty seven minutes? Tom Waits listening to that song was like, hmm. <laughs> I could build my whole career off of that. Um, but uh sorry, Tom. Uh you're an amazing actor and filmmaker as well. He's a better actor than songwriter. <sighs> Dude, uh no, Rain Dogs is Rain Dogs is one of the coolest albums yeah, ever. I don't made. give a shit. Uh, being being super producer Brian Tapp sort of shaking our head, Rain Dogs is one of the greatest albums ever made. You go you can shut up. Uh anyway. I will I, you want me to shut up? I'll go I'll no, go don't, outside right now. Don't shut up all the way. I, I'm going to be like fucking Garth in Wayne's World if I have to do this whole episode. <laughs> You'll be um, fine. Uh, uh, just make Tep's talk. He's, uh, you ever seen that scene in Scanners? Like his head is about to explode. Anyway. Um, I'm having fun. <laughs> nah. <laughs> 19. All right. But the 80s happened. He's still super addicted to cocaine, but he finds... Who wasn't? <laughs> well, but the big thing is, according to legend, Robert De Niro... Is like, you need to fucking stop doing cocaine. You Ooh. need to stop doing cocaine. You are out of control. And you need to make this movie that fucking he worked on as a scriptwriter. A lot of people wrote it, but it's about Jake LaMotta, who was a guy that De Niro knew, who was an old boxer. And he's like, you need to read this he's fucking script. He's the guy script. that invented that drink. <laughs> the LaMotta. Yeah. <laughs> the Clamata. The Clamata. That's what Jake LaMotta invented. Yeah. Well, he's getting concussed in a boxing match. It's like, uh, uh. what if you take clam juice and tomato juice and booze and you made it into a fight? That's why he lost his fights. He was thinking about (laughs) drinks and mixing. 
Jake, you just put up a fight. Hold on, I'm thinking here. And then he, he gets knocked out. Yeah. Um, but Scorsese loves the script. He's obsessed with it. He finds a way to get it produced. And he referred to it as a kamikaze when he made that movie. Holy shit. He was I'm like, I'm making this movie. It's going to work or I will die in the attempt. And I think that kind of comes through. Yeah, it I, does. <laughs> I think that fucking comes through. Like you through. hear people talk about desperate filmmaking. What about talking about desperate filmmaking from people who have made masterpieces? And it is a masterpiece. It is. It's also one a fi- of the greatest films ever made. It's a financial success, but it gets nominated for eight Academy Awards. Now the critics are also like, this is what's yeah. up. I think the British Film Institute called it like the second best film of all time. Yeah. Uh, the AFI has called it like the eighth best film of all time. It's always regarded as masterwork. Masterwork. And Raging Bull is masterwork. It is. It defies genres. It brings back a lot of stuff he learned from silent movies. Yes, exactly. F.W. Murnau, a lot of... Like, all the fight sequences, if you put that shit on mute, yes. that is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It also is one of those ones, I think, a little bit, where if you show it to someone now, it's kind of like in that way as Citizen Kane, where if you show it to someone now... They're like, that's a cool movie. It was very cool, but I don't get it because they don't process because every how, boxing movie since. Well, but also how much just everything about that movie is things that now everyone uses yeah. POV and shifting camera angle and black uh, and white when you don't need it. Craning in from outside through a window to then have a shot where people are talking in an apartment. I mean, these kinds of things were just they're now Jalen Hall saying, do you fuck my wife? Did you fuck, did you fuck my wife? Yeah, literally. I, I, and also just, I think it's maybe one of his best ones of simply characters interacting, dialogue. Yeah, it is. It's just, amazing. It is. The it, dynamics between everybody is... It's unstoppable. Electric. I mean... Is the, that Schrader too? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like I said, his friends come back and are like, look, I know you went to Hollywood and tried to make your Hollywood movie yeah. and got super addicted to cocaine and went insane, but now you need to come back to New York, knock the fucking coke out of your nose, and do a movie with us because... We're going to do this shit. Winkler, Erwin Winkler, all these guys. And also something we didn't talk about yet, but the use of sound effects, the use of him really understanding old school Foley sound effects, really understanding oh my God, the using sound gunshots fuck- as punches and yeah. things like that. Or just the sound of the cell phones in The Departed. Yes. They're fucking weapons. Oh, they are so weapons. Absolutely. When Did-did-did? they open their phones, it sounds Did-did-did? like a gun being cocked. Yes. Also, Kathy Moriarty in that movie, I love. That scene where he meets her at the pool. And talks to her and is also a very different, something you learn about De Niro. He gains all this weight. He looks totally different than Taxi Driver. He looks totally different than Mean Streets. He is a yeah. totally different character. And when he goes and talks to her, it always reminded me of like a panther talking, like just appearing. And this beast trying to be nice, trying to woo you. But you feel this violence inside of this character. And he's trying to be nice. He's trying to woo this woman that he really likes, but there is this scariness to this character, and it's, but you also like him? It's wild shit. Yeah. Also, he works with a guy we will talk about again, because this is the first time he works with him in a movie. His name is Joe Pesci, and when we do our Joe Pesci episode, it's gonna be dope, but. Is it the guy who was in Goodfellas? He was in Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. No, he was in Goodfellas, and he was in The Avengers. Mm-hmm. He was in Snakes in a Plane. Right, yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> he was Captain America in the version of Avengers that goes on in my head sometimes. That's weird. It's a fun version. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Iron Man is Steve Buscemi. 
And uh, don't let's not go that road. <laughs> we can recast all these movies the way we want to. Hulk is Sarah Silverman. It's crazy. Anyway, so Gwyneth Paltrow was replaced by Huey Lewis. <laughs> I love all of this. Yeah, this movie's great. Fuck you, Hollywood, for not hiring us to produce most of your movies. But Joe Pesci is awesome in it. This is the first time I ever saw Joe Pesci. After uh, that's not true. The first time. Uh, first time I saw Joe Pesci was Home Alone. Yes, and me as well. And then I saw Goodfellas also. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah. it's the first time. I kind of remember thinking to myself, Joe Pesci is this very versatile actor in a weird way. He truly... Oh, he's masterclass. He really is. It's strange. It seems like he's always playing the same character because he's him a little bit. He's a movie, He is a movie actor. He's not Daniel yes. Day-Lewis, but he... No. He's like the short shit version of Tom Cruise. Right. He can create nuances. Which is saying something. He could create weird nuances even within that weird version of his character. Scorsese called him the greatest. He would have been a huge character star actor in the black and white era. Yeah. And I was like, uh, Martin, I'm pretty sure he was a huge character <laughs> actor in his era. So what are you talking about? Yeah, but about? Martin doesn't appreciate his era. Yeah, that's fair. His era is wrong. Yeah. Um, but there should be no sound. No. There should be one guy playing <laughs> organ all the time. He it, should be allowed to leave the theater. When the movies aren't playing, he's got to play. Right. <laughs> It received eight Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actor for De Niro, and Scorsese's first Best Director nod, which there will be a whole thing about him getting Best Director nods. Oh, my God. He's like Susan Lucci. <laughs> it would require all of the power that Leonardo DiCaprio could muster, yeah. all of his DiCaprio magic. Like four, <laughs> four collaborations in. <laughs> we'll get to their love affair later. He always lost to famous actor directors. All of his ones, he lost to Robert Redford and Clint Eastwood and shit like that. It's it's bizarre when you go through it. It's wild. And, um, I want to say something controversial or not controversial. Goodfellas, he lost know. to, uh, uh, oh my God, uh, I'm stroking out. I'm having many strokes at once. I'm having 50 strokes right now. Um, Dances with Wolves. Kevin oh Costner. my God, I got there. I got there. Sorry. Wow. Wow. But he lost it. Goodfellas lost to Dances with Wolves, which don't get me wrong, Dances with Wolves is actually... A good movie. But yeah, but it's not good. It's not, it's not no, good. It's not good. good Lord. Nobody sits around and watches three hours of fucking Kevin Costner. Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> um, apparently, James Cameron did to basically then write. He's like, what if they were aliens and it was 3D? What movie is that? And I called it Avatar. Oh, I've never hmm. seen that. Control save Avatar. He just, I've never he just, seen he just Avatar. He just took the script from Dances with Wolves, changed the names around, put crazy CGI scene a couple times in there. Should <laughs> I see that movie? You're going to have to at some point. No, I really You're going to be required by nope. law. You're, nope. You are going to be required nope. by Illinois and federal law in order to do that. So, Raging Bull is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's unstoppable. You're going to have to watch it. You're going. There's several of these movies you're going to have to watch. But we'll get into the blockbuster wall at the end. Have people really not seen Raging Bull or fucking... You would be surprised. Or Taxi Driver. It's crazy. It's literally crazy. I get it if people haven't seen Mean Streets. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't seen Taxi Driver or fucking Raging Bull, you don't really care about cinema. No, you don't. And you need to... fucking Philistine. They're amazing. And you need to stop putting it off. They're amazing. They're genuinely amazing. I also understand... I do get a little reticence of like people who are like, I don't like hyper-scary, violent movies no, about deranged like, white guys. And I get how that could... But I'm like, Raging Bull is such a fucking masterpiece that yeah. it's... I understand there's some sort of fear. Right. Because it's not going to be as good as you thought, or it's not going right. to work out the way you wanted. Right. Like, or sort of the way no I put off... will love you. Yeah. Oh, you're going to have to die in the woods or prison. Yeah, or I yeah. put the way I put off getting my AIDS test. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it all works out. Yes. <laughs> 
Also, Super Producer Brian Taps is showing me a thing of us trying to get fans of Blockbuster Film School to force <laughs> Nick to watch one of his movies he refuses to watch. I'm going to clockwork orange you. I'm going to tie you to a chair and duct your eyes fucking, open. You don't understand this. I am. Would way- you still fall asleep? <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. God damn it. Yes, I will fall asleep. Uh, my reputation precedes me. But also... Have you thought Avatar might be your favorite movie of all time? Have you considered No, I this? really haven't. Have you considered that maybe... maybe You're trying to tell me that be- Avatar is better than Captain Ron? <laughs> no, no movie is better than Captain Ron. No, it's not. It is... Captain Ron is number Squab. seven on the AFI's top Squab. 100 movies Grr. of all time before Raging Bull, which makes sense. Uh, Captain Ron? <laughs> Never been to Disney World. <laughs> been to Disney World one too many times, Captain Ron. I've never been to Disney World. I've been to Dollywood. <laughs> um, <laughs> but oh man, we're in the middle of three parter yes. episode. We don't know. It uh, yet. That's true. Okay, Scorsese's next project, another one of his movies that did not get an Academy Award of the four that did not get Academy Awards. We could reference very much so to a film that is in the theaters right now. It is The King of Comedy. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> that it stars De Niro and Jerry Lewis. Here's the crazy bananas. bit. Here, it genuinely scared me when I saw it as a kid. No, it's a scary movie. <laughs> yes. Also, I didn't realize Sandra Bernhardt was so old. I know. She's so good. She looks it. great. She looks Sandra Bernhardt. Oh, yeah. I love Sandra Bernhardt. Yeah. Another powerful female character yes. who's very interesting and is the whole pivot point for the entire yeah. fucking movie. Always. It's Can I say good. one thing, though? His mother was important. Let me say one thing. <laughs> yes. Let me say one thing. Yes. Todd Phillips can go fuck himself. He's a terrible director. Joker, I know you haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. I know Teps hasn't seen it. Yeah. Joker, the whole fucking thing is a Joaquin Phoenix performance yes. that he could have done with anybody. Mm-hmm. Todd Phillips can't keep up, and like literally, I want to hear the rest of this. But you listen to me, real. You listen to me one time, you son of a bitch. Old school was a good fucking movie. Okay, no, 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 still no I'm, funny. Not, I'm not debating that. I'm not debating that. We're not going back. We're okay, not going right, over right. his whole record. I was just saying, Todd, old school is funny. Todd, I haven't seen the Joker, so I'm not going to bash this. Is Nick's hot take? Nick's this hot is Nick's take. hot take. Yes, this is Nick's um, hot take corner. Todd Phillips can't keep up with Joaquin Phoenix. Interesting. Not many people can. Yeah. You have Inherent Spike Vice. Jones. You have The Master. You have, you have Her. <laughs> yeah. You have all these movies. And then at the same time, you have that movie where it's him and Mark Wahlberg, and yeah. that doesn't work. Yeah. What is it called? Grown Ups? <sighs> Stepdads? I forget. This is the sound of me leaving. <laughs> oh, no. no. Don't open the door to the podcast studio. What did you think of The King of Comedy? I liked it because it was so fucking creepy. Yeah. I liked it and its creepiness more than it is a good movie. Right. It's for- I fucking hate, not Jenny Lewis. What's his name? Um, Jerry, Jerry Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jenny Lewis. Gender. I love you. Um, yeah, totally different person. <laughs> but also, Jerry Lewis is so good at being a scumbag because he kind of was. Because he is a life. scumbag. Yeah. <laughs> he was. He was a real turd. I didn't mind when he died. I will put that out there. He famously said that women weren't funny. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck Go you. fuck yourself. Have you ever you met Tina Fey? You're an idiot. Anyway. Yeah. Um, for people who haven't seen it, it's Robert De Niro again, also in a weird alienation role, very different than Travis Bickle. Yeah, he's obsessed with a late night talk show host who is Jerry Lewis. He wants to be him. He builds a set in his weird like apartment. His who he, he lives with his mother. Like that episode of Kramer. Yes, or the episode of Seinfeld where Kramer had the fucking correct talk he, show. He is obsessed with him. He truly is obsessed. He's a, he's an obsessive. You get to watch a man be obsessed with another man and stalk him and. It's very unsettling, and guess what? Didn't do well at the box. <laughs> no, nobody wants to watch that. Mm-hmm. 
That's like, oh, God. Although Wim Wenders, I don't know if you know Wim Wenders. Me or the audience? The audience, people in general. You, yeah. you know who Wim Wenders yeah, is. Sorry. Uh, he's sorry, a, he's sorry, a film sorry. director as well, directed one of us, a social club, was the one he won an Academy Award for, directed a lot of stuff, but he called it one of his favorite movies of all time. I'm very surprised by that. And Todd Phillips, maybe. <laughs> oh, of course Todd Phillips did. Because um, the Joker is kind of that movie. <laughs> I want to talk about a tweet. Yes. From Edgar Wright, mm-hmm. which is totally, I'm going way off of everything. But Do it. you mentioned Wim Wenders. This is what so, Osana, it's me. It's, it's me, um, Edgar Wright. Nah, 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 nah. So he was talking about that um, Tom Cruise movie where... Top am, Gun. No. Interview with a Vampire. Hold on, I'm drunk. <laughs> Hold on, I'm drunk? I don't remember that Tom Cruise movie. It's my favorite Tom Cruise movie. I would watch that. <laughs> it's Tom Cruise just on hold and he's hammered. So when Jack Reacher... The baddie, and I'm mm-hmm. quoting fucking yes. Edgar right here. The baddie is played by Warner Herzog, mm. and they made a sequel. And before it came out, Edgar Wright was like, since Werner Herzog was the baddie in the first Jack Reacher, I really hope for the second one it's Werner, it's Win Werners. <laughs> Win Wenders. Win Wenders, sorry. <laughs> Win Werners is his Win uh, Werners. Ooh, hey, it's Mr. America. Fuck him. Anyway. <laughs> I, I can we cut me out of the whole episode? No, no, it's you're gonna cut He's me. He's saying out. yes. It's just gonna be. It's gonna be it's like gonna be you talking to yourself. It's gonna be like that isolation of David Lee Roth, just his vocals. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> what <laughs> <about> the devil? <laughs> that was a pretty good David Lee Roth there, Thanks. buddy. Cocaine. <laughs> I don't give a shit what you say, Van Halen brothers. Turns out, no matter how mad you are at your bandmates, sooner or later you run out of money and you got to get back together. Yes, that is that is a law of thermodynamics. If that's not life, <laughs> the Pixies. <laughs> Frank oh my Black, God, Kim Deal. The- I'm never talking to you again. I'm never talking to you again. Fifteen years later, I'm out of money. I'm also out of money. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like the Pixies haven't spoken since the '80s. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But I've seen them six times since. Fucking, she's like, "What if I make like these cool baselines, like Breeders baselines?" He's like, "No, there will be no, no you're cool. Out of the band. No, 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 there'll be no cool baselines. Fuck you, Frank. Fuck you, Kim. Weird phone call. Um, hey, Kim. Um, so, uh, are you completely destitute as well? Yes, I am also. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna have to start touring. Yeah, that's true. Can that's- you not make it as an indie <laughs> artist while you're in your fifties? Shut up, Kim. Oh, no, okay, we're not gonna fight. We're not going to fight. Okay. This also makes me look very happily towards the future for Teps's band re- to reunite, uh, or us, <laughs> or us. Oh my God, is that what you were leading to? Yeah, I am definitely. You guys are never getting cool baselines ever in this band. Read my bio. Wait, me. stop, stop. <laughs> Read my bio on our website. Yes. Go to blockbusterfilmschool.com. Go to blockbusterfilmschool.com. I obviously play bass. It's a band. really great website designed by super producer Brian Taps. It's an amazing well, website. Super producer Brian Taps. You should is check it out. Killing it. It's a great fucking. Even if you hate us, but he but let just us write like our own websites, bio, so that's all on him. You should go it's check a it disaster. out. After that, he makes After Hours in 1985. I. It's your, it's your first one, so do you love it because it's good, or do you love it because it affected child Nick's brain? <laughs> child Nick's brain. <laughs> I will say, Let's though, be honest. I don't hate After Hours. I like that he went back to comedy, true actual true comedy, true yeah. comedy, where it's Griffin Dunn having terrible here's, things happening, Terry thing. Gar showing up looking yes. smoking, smoke show. I, here's the thing. Uh, yeah. This is why I love this movie. I know it's not Scorsese's best. It is not. But I fucking love it. I agree. It might wind up on my blockbuster wall. That's fair. Spoiler alert. Here's the thing. mm -hmm. I love Griffin Dunn. He Mm -hmm. was in American Wolf in London. 
He was in um, that other fucking dumb movie with the family or whatever. Yeah. I don't remember what yeah. it is. Yeah. I love Terry Gar. I love Eaters New people. York. Was no, she? No, I just I said ordinary people. No, I know. <laughs> I've I haven't seen this. It's a dumb movie about family. I'm just saying. Yeah, true. The stupids. Tom Arnold. I love Tom Arnold. I'm sorry. Oh. I have a soft spot for him. I genuinely I know you do. do. He's I find he him parties amu- with Michael Jordan. So it's and like, I find him genuinely amusing. I'm sorry. I, okay. I genuinely do. I know yes. in my mind. The altar I've built to After Hours mm. is not real, mm. but I don't care. I agree. I agree. I think a lot of people, it's interesting that yours is a a weird Scorsese offshoot comedy movie, but it, for this it, episode, I ask myself sometimes, I say to myself, Alex, is Goonies really that great a movie or did you watch it when you were a child over and over again because you loved it then and now as an adult, you keep watching it and you keep going, that's Thanos. And and Samwise Ganji and Rudy, yeah. Um, and and, when, and, and fucking and, and our um, boy, our boy. Wait, don't say it. I have to say it. I have to say it. Ricky Butler, Ricky, says. But, Ricky Butler, Ricky Butler is also in it. Yeah, I'm not gonna go too much into After Hours. I like it, but I've seen it once. It has Cheech and Chong in it? Yeah, it's Scorsese dicking around, having a good time. I think he stopped doing coke, but started drinking wine. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> All the wine. All the wine. Um, after that, 87 has a weird bounce back moment in which he directs the second most famous music video from prolific musical artist and child rapist Michael Jackson called Bad, which actually he made like a 30 minute long short movie that's black and white. They only played the really beginning of it, but you are made to believe that Michael Jackson is tough, which... It's uh, really hard to do and just sort of plays into how good of a director he is. It really is. Yeah. And was iconic, truly iconic in the 80s. Came up with the glove. He really had the fucked sparkle up Corey glove. Re- oh, you better believe yeah. that shit. Um, Completely uh, influenced the Avengers. Accidentally added to Michael Jackson's power, which he would use for evil, as we've come to find out. Also, a very hilarious story about our friend. Uh, <laughs> Wait, which friend? Bela. Wait, I don't know this story. Oh, you don't know the story? No. Okay, so a friend of mine. Does he listen? He might listen to the podcast. He'll be he might, so happy he you might brought listen him to up. The podcast. Um, he, might Hi, mur- he might murder me. But Bela Farkas, White Wolf, is a fairly common name in Hungary, which is of Bela's descent. Oh, my God, I do know this story. <laughs> and Michael Jackson went to Hungary once and to help a sick child. And the child's name was also Bela Farkas. And there is a YouTube video... Of Michael Jackson helping the, and at the end of the video, he goes, I love you, Bela Farkas. Yeah. And Link in the bio. Link in the bio. <laughs> and it's been fabulous ever since. And he was the one who showed it to me. So this is on him. If he wasn't yeah. the one who had shown it to me, oh, Michael Jackson said your name. Okay, who cares? Yeah. And it's not I, that, want, I want to yeah. send one little message yeah. to Bela if I could. Yes. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Anyway, hey, we're doing shout outs now. That's what we are. <laughs> hey, welcome back to the Kiss 95.1. Anyway, Scorsese, he makes his only sequel. A sequel to the Robert Rosen film, The Hustler, which is an awesome movie with Paul Newman about pool sharks. Has Fats Domino in it. It's cool. Uh, not Fats It's about Minnesota Fats. That's what I meant to say. Fats Domino go. was the guy who made all those twisting songs. He was like, what if I made some other songs? He was like, just make the twisted songs. Yeah. You don't get any more money. And he's like, fine. <laughs> twist again. Like I did on the spaceship. This is a spaceship twist. Anyway. I don't mean that voice to be weird. That's exactly how Fats Domino sounded. So that wasn't... Sounds like Eddie Vedder. Yeah. 
And yeah, dude. Yeah, he did kind of rip. He did kind of rip off Fred Stomper a little bit. Yeah, he did. <gasps> Eddie Vedder's a monster. This is Donnie Lightbulb, a cartoon light bulb appeared above my head. Congratulations. Wow. I'm wow. happy I could do that. Thank you. Thank you for that. But the color of money kind of is Scorsese's true first foray into what I would call mainstream filmmaking, where in this sense, all of his movies are kind of underground, they're edgy they're dark or weird or have literally this, for lack of a better word, this edge to them. And The Color of Money does as well, but it's truly a Hollywood movie and it has Tom Cruise and Paul Newman in it. Okay, Tom Cruise is edgy. He is. I'm not saying that he's not, but... Paul Newman won an Oscar for it. I mean, it's no, it's it's a Hollywood, it's a Hollywood movie. It's really good. It's shot re- that in Chicago. Yes, my uncle Mark, who isn't listening, so I can say he's a gigantic drunk, was an extra <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> they filmed it at Dennis's, I think, which yeah. is, was an old uh, pool hall in Jefferson mm-hmm. Park. A lot of the scenes, there used to be a lot more pool halls just in Chicago. There were a ton of them. There used to be places you could hang out in Chicago. Yeah, there used to be things in Chicago. There used to be businesses owned by people here who weren't just mega corporations. Yeah. Weird. Anyway, it was weird. It what was, a concept. What a, what, what a bunch of jerks. Now we have a utopia. It's like some sort of community. Weird, right? So Instead, we're hiding out in a tiny room fucking drinking. This is a fabulous podcast studio. We are no, I love it. I love the art podcast studio. And I love what Brian Taps has done with it. Agreed. Super producer Super Brian Taps. Dave, for real. If Brian was if I was it, we wouldn't know what to do. Anyway, no, um, I know. Um, It'd be like my other podcast, which is... Also, Aaron Rose has never seen it is a great podcast. I'm plugging it. I'm plugging it. You should many, check it out. Which ones have you listened to? I listened to the one about where when Bob was on the show. I, I don't appreciate wanna... you being nice about it. No, it's I've listened okay. to a couple of them. I've just They're kind of about many things. They're about movies they're that Aaron Rose has never movies, seen. They're barely about movies, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. <laughs> Poltergeist? Is that one of the ones I listened to? Anyway. Um, no. No. Anyway. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I love you anyways. I've listened to some of them. I just... Yeah, I like, know. They're I, not about anything. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> they're, like, they're you and Bob and Aaron talking. And I now know. And you and Aaron talking. And I, they're funny. I don't know. I can't it's remember. Not, it's, I am also a touch drunk. Well, you, you couldn't remember the name. <laughs> anyway. So, The Color of Money makes, guess what? A shitload of money. No shit. It, it makes it's the opposite of putting the word Hollywood in your movie, which is always a curse. With the exception of apparently Quentin Tarantino has defied the magic laws of Hollywood. But normally, if you put the word Hollywood in the movie title, it will be a fail. However, if you put the word money in it, it will work. It's weird. It doesn't make sense. But it gets him nominated again. It's him back. It gets him back. Like there had been a little bit of a lull. The King of Comedy, After Hours, these are not big hits. But then he gets himself into the mainstream. In the main era, the main vein of MTV era, he makes bad. And he makes his first breakout across the board. Suburban people like it. There's no psycho killers in it. It's just a cool movie about pool sharks with Tom Cruise at the height of being Tom Cruise and still being super handsome and awesome like Paul Newman. So he makes this and this gives him so much clout. It is such a big hit. It gives him so much clout that he finally is allowed to make the last temptation of Christ, a movie that he has always wanted to make little fun fact in 1983 Scorsese started to make the last temptation of Christ with Aiden Quinn and sting as Pontius Pilate. He started to get, he got close and then the studio started to get heat about making this. 
and he cut it. If you don't know what The Last Temptation of Christ is, it was based on a book from Nikos Kazantazakis. I don't know how to it. It's a very cool book. It's a really awesome book, but it basically is about Jesus in the sense of him being a man, being a, a human. There is supernatural shit going on in it, but yeah. he is flawed. He is not... He's a Willem Dafoe. He is character. a Willem Dafoe, if you will. <laughs> and But literally, Scorsese has so much clout with the color of money that he can make this movie. And it kind of works... It works in a way that is amazing. He gets Willem Dafoe and David fucking Bowie the only maybe wizard that has ever existed in our timeline. Yes, that we have ever truly known. Possibly is Merlin. Possibly is still alive. He just had to disappear. Which is our planet. It's possible. And if you've never seen it, there's so much crazy shit. I like to watch it once a year just to... Easter time? (laughs) I like to watch it at Christmas to upset my family. And... (laughs) Like, can we watch It's a Wonderful Life? No! We have to watch a hyper-violent, hyper-psychedelic version of Jesus. And it's dope, though. It is dope. It's Harvey Keitel. <laughs> he gets a pass in this. Yes, because he's good. It. He's good. He's, he's back to being he, a mook from the neighborhood. He doesn't lose it completely, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yes. To, like, 92. I Half of Reservoir Dogs he's in, he's good. I, yeah. I, but then, like, you he, gets, a, he gets smoke. Yeah, there's and some he's bad. literally just like, Oof. look at me, a guy who owns a smoke shop. Hey, it's like his whole character. I know. it's All the actors have dumb stuff. It's not always going to be the wolf in Pulp Fiction. You're, no. <laughs> you're, always, you're not always going to be Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, it's not always going to be Bad Lieutenant. Anyway, so that happens. It's a weird hit, right? Because guess what? The Christian right hates it, and they want it bad, and they want to take it out of movie theaters. And guess what? If the Christian right shows up and starts bitching and saying that a movie is terrible and is blasphemous, guess what? People want to go see that movie. They say this. I only made $8 million. Fair. It was not a huge financial hit. However, I will say it is one of Scorsese's best directed movies. Absolutely. It is beyond skillful. He's making his first kind of supernatural movie, in my opinion. He's making something really different. It's still got his edge, but it's very different. He's making a period piece. He's making, that's way period. He's making cool, weird stuff. And it gets him another best directing nod. It gets nominated for a ton of Academy Awards. He loses to Barry Levinson for Rain Man. (laughs) Um, And this is the fickle bitch that is Tom Cruise, okay? You live by the Tom Cruise, you die by the Tom Cruise. And we'll finish up our conversation about... Last Temptation of Christ, but I think we're going to, we're definitely going to do a couple more parts on Martin Scorsese. I think that's the end of the episode. It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. He's not only maybe one of the most prolific directors of all time. We haven't even gotten to the parts. We haven't gotten to the films where we could do entire episodes about. Agreed. Agreed. So we're going to save the 90s. We're going to save a certain movie. Okay. Insult him. Insult him a little bit. Insult just a little bit. We're going to save some classic Scorsese. We're going to save some 90s, the 2000s. We'll see. We're going to save that Martin Starr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. this is going to be a multi-part. I don't know if it's going to be two or three or four or five or possibly. I'm the overnight guy. Yeah. <laughs> but but we definitely can't do it in one episode. So we're going to do the Blockbuster Wall now. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall. <laughs> Uh, 
Uh, we're gonna do three because there's gonna be a bunch. There's a, it's Martin Scorsese, so he gets himself. He gets a lot of blockbuster wall. Personally, yeah. in my opinion, personally, if I ran a blockbuster, he would get his own section. There would just be yeah. a Scorsese section that includes his movies plus movies he was influenced by plus movies that are influenced by him. You know that kind of shit, and it would fill an entire section. So, based on what we have said so far. What are your three? We're gonna go to the blockbuster picks. Nick, what is your block three of the movies we've done of sixties, seventies, eighties? Martin Scorsese. I'm not happy about this. Mm. After hours. No, it's cool. I I G- love that G-G movie. It's funny. I love that movie for the wrong reasons, though. I admit <laughs> it. I like the pieces right. more than the sum. Okay. I agree. It's a very interesting way of putting Which it. Which is it's such a weird thing. It's also very nice to see Scorsese do something like a straight comedy. Yeah. I know it's a dark comedy, but it's a, it's a comedy. Yeah, it's, it's a, a comedy New York movie. comedy. It's a New York. It's, it is funny. There's crazy shit going on. Yeah. In it. And I think it honestly, you know what it reminded me of? It influenced trading places a lot, I think. Influence trading places, mm-hmm. influence um, all those movies where it's like a dude goes out right. with a woman. And like it, it takes place over one night, like yeah. fucking blind dates, yes. and that one with Ethan Hawke. I can't remember the name of. Right, just as that way of like using the grittiness of the eighties. I know that Trading Places takes place. It takes place in Philadelphia, right? Yeah, it takes place in Philadelphia. But that grittiness of the eighties, using that craziness of the Reagan economic downturn for comedy purposes. Trickle down yes. economics. Like the craziness of these destroyed urban areas as comedy was, it, it was it was something that no one had ever done, truly. And, and it was amazing. But my number three, I'm going to say is Taxi Driver. Ooh. Of the three. Ooh. I, I like Taxi Driver a lot. I like how weirdly influential it is. I like that it's, Alan Moore's Rorschach is clearly sort of based on this character. This Paul Schrader's writing has really sort of got this serrated edge to it, but it was also sort of poetic. De Niro looks dope in it. That movie doesn't work if you don't have De Niro. If you don't it have, doesn't. it's a character piece. De Niro makes it come alive. I think it truly is also just as blockbuster film school wall you have to see taxi driver you have to oh you, yeah you it's can't be a movie mandatory. nerd you can't be a movie nerd and not see taxi driver all of these ones that are on the wall right now you can't be a movie nerd and not have seen them maybe after hours but uh the, no i'll just give you shit um fuck you <laughs> what's your two what's your two raging bull yeah it's dope it's, it's a fucking masterpiece it is truly it is a masterpiece it is it's um, influenced Everything. 70% of the movies that's come after. <laughs> I, honestly. And it was called the 1980 great, to a, fucking now. When oh AFI God. went into their sort of categories, they called it the greatest sports movie of all time. So even if you, I understand boxing is insane just as simply thinking of it as a sport, uh, but it's just too, just beating the shit out of each other. But it's crazy. It's, it is a lightning bolt. It is a movie that no one else has ever made. And I don't think anyone else ever will. I mean, in the sense of in that in that truly magnificent pieces of art, it has no, it has no comparison to it. It doesn't. There is nothing like Raging Bull, all the way. Other people have imitated it, but it is unstoppable. My two is I'm gonna do it because I love it because the sequence, the sequence where Tom Cruise breaks away from Paul Newman, and he's listening to Werewolves of London by Warren Zevon, 
and he's R-I-B. just kicking motherfuckers' ass. But that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to kick their ass. You're supposed to lure them in and win money. But he's still doing it, and he's in like ultimate Tom Cruise mode, and he's like. I love that movie. I love The Color of Money. It is an awesome movie. I love Paul Newman in that movie. It might be secretly, as much as I love Cool Hand Luke and Bush Casting the Sundance Kid, it might secretly be my favorite Paul Newman movie because it's got Scorsese and it's Hollywood Sheen plus Scorsese Edge. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, what's your one? Mean Streets. Mean Streets. Can't avoid it. I love it. It's, dope. it's where he comes mm-hmm. into like. Almost full Scorsese. Mm-hmm. I love that he does the fucking voiceover. I love... It's so weird. I love Harvey Keitel in this. Yes. It's like me grasping onto the last thing of Harvey Keitel I like. <laughs> I love how fucking insane De Niro yeah. is. He is uncapped. He is everywhere. He is just manic energy. He doesn't give a fuck. Does he he's, get got intru- a, he's got a finger in his eye and he's yeah. laughing like a crazy person. Does he get introduced by throwing a firecracker into a mailbox? Yes. Or a bomb into yeah, a Yeah, I brought that up at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> he is a fucking terrorist. And it's amazing. Yes. And you care whether he lives or dies. You yes, care whether Harvey Keitel like yeah. lives or dies. You care whether or not the cousin that he's hooking up I with know. lives oh, or dies. Yeah, I love her. I genuinely. She's great. She's great. Everybody's great in this. Yeah. And just the way it's shot, mm. it doesn't feel like a narrative. It feels like these people are living out their that lives. That element of Scorsese with documentary yeah. and being able to blend the line and, and feels. And he goes back and forth his mm, whole career. Yes. And very, yeah, you. it feels real, which is something he's very good at. Um, my number one, um, I'm just telling you. If you want to see a hyper-psychedelic, hyper-violent, tour de force from Willow Dafoe, sci-fi fantasy version of Jesus, go see The Lighthouse. <laughs> you see The Last Temptation of Christ. That shit is fucking dope as fuck. Yeah. It is nuts. It has David Bowie in it. As much as Pilot. Do clouds listen to me? I know Raging Bull is the more skilled cinematic thing, but... Jake LaMotta is tragic. He, I know Jesus is tragic, but somehow it doesn't feel tragic. It's crazy. I know. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Because he, he came back. I want to predict he something. He fought Satan with magic. Yes. Different from any other blockbuster wall, we're not choosing yes. with, like, cinema in mind. Yes. Not, like, the yeah. way it's made and all no, the stuff. No, this is our wall. This is it's Alex just Nick's feelings. Walls. Yes. This with is the one Scorsese, we like. Scorsese, more than anybody else, you're just choosing with your emotions. I'm not going to lie. As awesome as Raging Bull is, I would rather watch Color of Money. Yeah. If someone's like, do you want to just hang out and watch Color of Money? I, I would say yes. Yes, I would. I'd rather put Mean Streets on and have a talk about yes. fucking life. Yes. Yes, agreed. There's that element. It's, as much as I love Taxi Driver, like I said, I would rather watch. It's kind of a bummer. But it's also truly like an awesome action movie when it comes yeah, down it to is. it. It really yeah. is psycho. It's the part where the violence actually comes down and De Niro pops that gun out of his sleeve and it's sh- insane. shoots the guy in the face, it felt it felt like something out of a dream. Also, I have to say this, the last thing, we kind of and we'll talk about this more, but the way Scorsese directs violence is genuinely masterwork. It does. It's in yeah. that more than maybe anything and that I'm he a- has ever done influenced everyone. Yeah. After- I'm going to say something controversial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Scorsese with violence peaked with Casino because Casino isn't the greatest narrative he's done but when you watch yeah, fucking I mean, I, when you watch him crush that dude's hand with a hammer yeah holy or, or shit or spoiler alert when they fucking kill Pacino and his oh brother oh my god or uh, Pesci Pesci and his when brother when you watch him kill Pesci I know and bury his brother alive with him 
That is violence and tragedy and emotions. It's everything that is Scorsese in one scene. I'm just saying that, and I know this is a hot take at the very end, but that before Taxi Driver and definitely before Raging Bull, violence in movies was John Wayne, people getting shot, and maybe Roger Corman, like a big fake ketchup blood packet, you know, this kind of thing. There had been a little bit of, there were some beginnings of this, but after this, after this, it was, you have to make this shit not only look real, but look hyper real, look beyond yeah. real. The violence has to be, the, and we'll get into Pesci, I, Pesci I, getting shot I'm, in the back of the head and the blood splurting yeah. out. And fucking in, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree mm, with you. Mm. I'm going to feel like we had the wild bunch of Peckinpah in 69 I, and then nothing appeared again. But even as much as driver. much as I respect Peckinpah and also understand that with his vi- straw dogs, these things, there's still a goofiness to the violence. Not it's a wild st- bunch, though. Not in my <sighs> opinion. It's. I agree with you. It is closer. It's closer. But it really doesn't become the modern version of uh, hyperviolence until Taxi Driver. We can disagree. Until and also, episode. I understand. I, and you're right there, too, because Kubrick is also there, too. And he, you know, once you have... Kubrick the- was a different type of violence. Kubrick was the violence you didn't want to watch. Oh, untrue. I disagree. I'm well, sorry. if you're sitting through Clockwork Orange that's every sl- time, but that slow motion scene in Clockwork Orange where Alex takes the I'm talking about the hit, starts beating the on shit the out family. of him. Oh, sure, but he also understood that secretly people wanted to see this, not in the sense that like they wanted to see this, like oh, I'm so glad I saw this. But people love true crime, particularly in America and England, and they were like, "What is a housebreak and murder rape? Like, what is it?" And he actually showed it to them. He forced you to watch yeah. it, and you had to be like, "Oh, I didn't actually." want to see this uh i wasn't curious that's why i've only seen a clockwork orange once it's clockwork orange is harder to watch than maybe any of them anything he's ever done that's true whereas like the shining where jack Nicholson is running around with a fucking axe is is hilarious (laughs) it's the greatest comedy ever made when he comes out and axes scatman brothers and goes completely against how the book goes it made stephen king go insane he's in the sequel which makes no sense because Stephen King refused to Stephen King refuses to acknowledge Kubrick. That didn't happen. You can't take my whole career as the Charles Dickens of America and circumvent me, you fucking British fuck. Like, that, that yes. He grew up in Chicago. Kubrick, yes. And Brooklyn, back and forth. Yeah. But, yes. So, well, there you go, team. That's our wall. We'll be back next week with part two, the 90s. And we'll see how far we get with that, with Scorsese, but we love the fucker. Long may he live. May he live to be 197 years old. May he outlive me and make movies forever. I love I love you, Martin Scorsese. I love, I love you, motherfuckers. Please rate us on iTunes. It really helps. Please subscribe. Check us out. Spotify, Stitcher, all your favorite podcast outlets, Google Play. Please rate us. Please subscribe. We love the shit out of you. You guys are amazing. And we love the feedback. You guys coming up and yelling at me at the bar about weird movie stuff. That's fine, I guess. But whatever. So I don't care about any of you. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. All right. This was produced by go, Super Producer Brian Tepps. Nick, any uh, final thoughts? Go like watch Mother. Mm. Just for the Scorsese cameo. Mm. Not the weird we can, Korean version. We can get into like go, cameos. Go, all in, his... go watch the fucking uh, Albert Brooks version. Him as the director on the uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Those yeah. are amazing. I know, I know, I know, He's I know. a hyperized version of yeah. Martin Scorsese. <laughs> what are you, some sort of idiot? Anyway, so we love you, and we will see you in one week. Remember, drive your car real fast, do drugs, do whatever the shit. Civilization is collapsing. 